It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Just last week, New infections went up 70%. And according to uh, the CDC, which over, excuse me, the NIH, which oversees the CDC, it is uh, absolutely 95, 99.5% of those infections mm -hmm. are people who haven't gotten vaccinated. I mean, come on. Uh, anybody who disputes that sort of stuff is putting people's lives at risk and potentially killing them. Yeah, so that's Carl Cameron, uh, formerly of Fox News, and uh, so I'm, you know, I'm one of those persons. Uh, you heard my story earlier this week. Very sick husband, and I got COVID as well, and we haven't been vaccinated, so we are killing people. Yeah, so that's what they're saying. Okay, but if that's true, you know, I kind of want to know. I would kind of want to know. I don't think that I want to do that. I'm not interested in killing people. Uh, so now I have to look at the evidence. So I've done that. Uh, the head of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky, uh, weighed in because now she is the doctor. She's not the newsman, Carl. And so let's see what her opinion is. This is clip six. This is becoming a pandemic of the unvaccinated. We are seeing outbreaks of cases in parts of the country that have low vaccination coverage because unvaccinated people are at risk. And communities that are fully vaccinated are generally faring well. The good news is that if you're fully vaccinated, you are protected against severe COVID, hospitalization, and death, and are even protected against the known variants, including the Delta variant, circulating in this country. If you are not vaccinated, you remain at risk. And our biggest concern is that we are going to continue to see preventable cases, hospitalizations, and sadly deaths among the unvaccinated. Except there's there's just a problem with that. I, I, I mean, surely the doctor knows. But, you know, I've been watching the news, and perhaps you have too, and perhaps you heard about those Texas legislators who left the state on a private plane without a mask, even though it's federally required, even on private planes, taking their beer and their drinks to get out of a session, a special session called by the governor, to consider uh, election reform, so they jumped on this plane. They made, they did selfies. They took pictures. They're smiling. They're all vaccinated. So why did they need a mask? And they go to Washington, and now six of them have claimed that they are COVID positive. But they're all they were all vaccinated. But somehow they went to D.C. They rode without their masks, and somehow these vaccinated Texas legislators now are COVID positive, as is uh, an aide to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and others. I think they're not naming. Uh, we, Jen Psaki was asked about it yesterday, and she was very coy. She said, yes, others are, but, you know, we can't say whatever she said. She didn't name them. So I guess maybe that's not quite true because six they're all vaccinated, and they all got COVID. So... 
Oh, then, okay, so that's just one story. So maybe that's just a fluke, right? So, so then now there's this British uh, Sir Patrick Vallance who was reporting in Great Britain yesterday about what they're seeing in their hospitals, and uh, I thought you might find it interesting, clip four. In terms of the number of people in hospital who've been double vaccinated, we know it's around 60% of the people being admitted to hospital with COVID have been double vaccinated, and that's not surprising because the vaccines are not 100% effective. Well, wait, so in Great Britain, 60%? Of the people in the hospital with COVID have been double vaccinated, 60%. And he's saying, Sir Patrick Valance, that we know that the, uh, you know, the vaccinations are not, you know, they're not, uh, they, they're not preventing COVID. So maybe, I'm just wondering, do you think that perhaps the logical conclusion there would be that this is not a pandemic of the unvaccinated? This is strange. This is strange. And who do we believe? And so yesterday, that makes this interaction Even more interesting to me, Dr. Fauci, I guess it wasn't yesterday, maybe it was the day before, Dr. Fauci was in a hearing in the Senate with Senator Rand Paul, among other people, and uh, Dr. Rand Paul was uh, grilling Dr. Fauci on gain-of-function. So uh, gain-of-function is what, according to evidence, they were doing in the Wuhan lab in China, and basically it's experimentation, uh, intentionally distorting and mutating of viruses to make them more deadly in humans. It's so bad that even under the uh, the uh, um, Obama administration, they stopped. They said, "You can't do that anymore." We, no, no, we're not going to spend money. Can't can't do that. That gain of function research. Uh, try to make viruses worse in people. We're going to stop doing that. And Dr. Fauci was the dude who was in charge and authorized it in Wuhan instead. So you can see why Dr. Fauci is just a little on edge about the claims that perhaps it's that super strain that is worse than humans that got out of the Wuhan lab and his killing, was killing, has killed hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. A little touchy, a little sensitive on that. So I want you to hear this exchange between uh, Dr., uh, Dr. Rand Paul and Dr. Anthony Fauci. Let's listen. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain-of-function. What was, let me finish. You take an animal virus and you increase its transmissibility to humans. You're saying that's not gain of function? Yeah, that is correct. And and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially. You do not know what you are talking about. Okay, you get one person. Let's read from the NIH definition of gain of function. This is your definition that you guys wrote. It says that scientific research that increases the transmissibility among mammals is gain of function. They took animal viruses that only occur in animals and they increase their transmissibility to humans. How you can say that is not gain of function? It is not. It's a dance, and you're dancing around this because you're trying to obscure responsibility for four million people dying around the world okay. from a pandemic. And let's let's send Dr. Fauci. I have to. Well, now you're getting into something. If the point that you are making 
is that the, the, the grant that was funded as a sub-award from EcoHealth to Wuhan created SARS-CoV-2. That's where you are getting. Let me finish. We don't know. Well, we don't wait know a minute. If it did I come can, from the lab, but you, all the evidence is pointing that it came from the lab. You, and there will be responsibility for those who funded the lab, including yourself. All right. So that's not the end of it. And you can imagine why. Now, let's see. Let's think about it. Uh, Dr. Fauci's pretty convincing when he says, uh, Dr. Paul, you do not know what you are talking about. Now, Rand Paul is a physician also. Dr. Fauci, though, has all these years in infectious diseases. But who has something to gain here and who has something to lose? Dr. Rand Paul has his reputation as a doctor on the line when he's called, when, he, when it, uh, Dr. Fauci says, you don't know what you're talking about. So he has that on the line. But Dr. Fauci has, well, let's see. He may have the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people on the line. So when you hear them respond, you remember that because it'll make a difference in how they speak to each other. There's more to this back and forth. Let's listen. I totally this resent, will allow the witness to respond. I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating, Senator, because if you look at the viruses that were used in the experiments that were given in the annual reports that were published in the literature, it is molecularly impossible. No one's saying those it, viruses it is, caused it. It no is, one is molecularly. That those virus caused the pandemic. What we're alleging is that gain of function research was going on in that lab and NIH funded it. That you is can't not. Get away from it. It meets your definition and you are obfuscating the truth. I'm not obfuscating the truth. Senator you are the one. Time is expired, but I will allow the witness to. Let me just finish. I want everyone to understand that if you look at those viruses, and that's judged by qualified virologists and evolutionary biologists. Those viruses are molecularly impossible no one's to result no in SARS-CoV-2. We're saying they are gain-of-function viruses because they were They're animal not. viruses that became more transmissible in human, and you funded it. And you, you admit the truth. And you implying... Senator Paul, your time has expired, and I will allow witnesses right. who come before this committee to respond. And, and you are implying that what we did was responsible for the deaths of individual... I totally resent that. Could that. Have and if anybody is lying been. here, Senator, it is you. So there you go. That's what happened in the Senate uh, two days ago. Uh, you know, I have to say, it might have been yesterday morning. I have to say, I, I don't, that's what should happen in the Senate. That is the kind of discourse that should be taking place. We do not need, uh, it was orderly. And it was powerful because there is a lot on the line here. There's a lot on the line with the country. Why, why isn't there more passion? Why isn't there more fight? Why isn't there more of that? Instead of them, uh, the, the senators trying to reach some compromise uh, with the radical left to destroy the country, maybe a little, little less fast, slow it down a little bit. Uh, this is the kind of fight we need, thank God, for Rand Paul. And Dr. Fauci's furious because... Dr. Paul did not directly, he, Dr. Fauci's the one who said, you are, you're accusing me of uh, doing, uh, authorizing this gain of function research at Wuhan, and you are saying that it went on to develop the SARS uh, COVID strain that has killed all these people. How dare you say that? And Fauci's saying, I, I mean, Paul is saying, Dr. Paul is saying, I didn't say that. 
I'm saying this is gain-of-function research that was not to have been done, You and you authorized it. And out of that, we don't know what happened. We don't know if your particular experimentations, authorization of that, uh, you know, was the origin of SARS-CoV-2. We don't know. I'm not saying that. You're Basically, you're saying that, Dr. Fauci. So um, it is. Uh, it, it, this is as serious as death because it is about death. And, uh, and so that's the kind of exchange that took place yesterday. And so uh, Dr. Fauci is quite exercised about it, and he should be, because his life, his future should be on the line. Instead, of course, he was rewarded uh, with a position in the Biden White House. And he has a little bit of immunity right now because, uh, because the left controls everything. And they will circle the wagons and protect him right now. Uh, but we don't know what the future holds. And certainly, I have to say that you can circle the wagons, but you cannot protect someone if indeed he is guilty of doing this. God knows everything. He knows men's hearts. He knows what happens in the hidden places. He knows what's true and what isn't. And he doesn't forget and he's a God of justice. And that's why when I see people like Dr. Fauci and others who are so smug and uh, very proud of themselves right now, patting themselves on the back, I saw the, uh, the gay chorus out of San Francisco singing, you know, in the most repugnant, proud way, we're coming for your children. Yeah, well, they don't understand who's coming for them. They have no clue what it is they're facing. And so when you feel like the psalmist that the wicked are prospering and they're getting away with everything, no, they're not. No, they're not. Do not think for a minute that you would ever trade uh, your position if you are right with God, no matter what's happening. If you're in prison right now in D.C. uh, and experiencing horrific treatment, uh, don't trade your place for the place of those proud people who uh, somehow in their own human pride to think that they've got it all in hand because they don't have it all in hand. All right, I want to talk about a very big topic when we return with someone who's right in the thick of something that's going to affect all of us. And that is, of course, that social media is now uh, controlling. They have been doing this for some time, but now the White House is working with them to control what you can know about COVID, about the election, about treatments for COVID. They're controlling life and death. They really are. And so how do we stop this? And why hasn't someone stopped it before now? What's Congress doing? What is the Senate doing? What can we do? There's a lot to say, so stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. You know, if you feel like you're stuck with a healthcare plan that isn't affordable or you simply don't like it, right now is a great time to switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 a month when they join MediShare. And what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to the typical health insurance plan. That's double. So you get a massive network of providers to choose from. You get telehealth services. And MediShare is the most trusted name in healthcare sharing. It's been around for more than 25 years, shared more than $4 billion in healthcare bills. Here's why now really is the time to make the switch, too. You can start saving each month, which is huge, but right now they'll waive your joining fee. So you'll save another $170 right off the bat. But again, it's a limited time offer. You got to call now. And it only takes two minutes to find out how much you'd save by switching. Here's the number 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. 
This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Dr. James Olthoff, Director and Acting Undersecretary of the National Institute of Standards and Technology. He promotes U.S. innovation and U.S. industrial competitiveness by advancing measurement science, standards, and technology. Leviticus 19.35 reminds us of the importance of accurate measurements. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Dr. James Altoff as he works to enhance economic security and improve our quality of life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Again, that's "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Elliot Middleton runs a garage in South Carolina, and he's a man on a mission. Elliot fixes old cars and donates them to families who live out in the low country. There's no public transportation in those parts, no Ubers or taxi cabs. A lot of folks have to walk to the supermarket. Over the years, he's fixed up all sorts of cars for senior citizens, job seekers, even single moms like Jessica Litchfield. She said Elliot is an honest-to-goodness lifesaver. CBS News did a profile on Elliot a few weeks ago, and something rather remarkable happened. Donations started pouring in by the hundreds. It was astounding. More than 800 cars, along with a few clunkers, donated to the cause. And then there was the cash, more than $100,000 in donations. Elliot Middleton is a good man and a great American, going the extra mile for strangers in his community. And proving that extra mile is a whole lot easier when you have a car. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. You know, I think this is just one more example of this enormous power that these platforms have. And um, I'm glad um, in some of the other issues uh, you guys were just talking about that Secretary Yellen has called a foreign investigation to look at this manipulation. You want to have small investors, you want to have people participating, uh, but you don't want to have deliberate manipulation. And that's always a thin line. So I'm glad that this is being looked into because you don't want behavior. Overall, with tech, I think we know for a long time they've pushed against any kind of rules of the road saying, hey, trust us. Um, And that just hasn't worked for people. It sure hasn't worked for people that have had their private information spit out all over the place. It hasn't worked for people who are victims of misinformation. Um, And so that's why, in addition to antitrust, uh, we have to get some rules of the road for privacy in place. And we've got to make sure that the economy uh, is fair for people. And I look at this from a business 
perspective, which is a lot of your show. Um, I don't think it's good for startups. I don't think it's good for competition. If you have big companies with 90% market share over search engines in the case of Google that can control the gateways to things. And so that's why uh, my bill and the work that we're doing and the House has done a lot on this too, House Representatives, is aimed at actually getting to what I consider a conservative principle, capitalism. Um, this idea of competition in the marketplace. Uh, Adam Smith himself warned about the overgrown army of monopolies and that we always had to have a check and balance and we are rusty and we haven't kept up with the marketplace. Well, this has to be a very different day. That's, I think, the first time I've ever played an Amy Klobuchar clip when I actually wanted to play it for you because I think she has some very good points. Uh, We want to talk today about I don't think I need to spend 30 seconds to explain to you why big tech, why Amazon, why all these huge companies have gained power over our lives, censoring books and thoughts, the things that you can buy and sell. It's becoming at crisis level. I guess the big issue is why is no one doing anything? Uh, When Congress holds hearings, they sound like a, with very few exceptions, like old doddering fools who have no idea what they're talking about. Why isn't Congress doing something? Well, there are lots of people that are trying to do something, and the interesting thing is, among conservatives, there's a huge divide about what to do, and that's one of the reasons that Congress is paralyzed. Well, I've asked someone to join us this morning who's all about this issue. He's someone that I trust. He's got great judgment. Uh, Mike Davis is the founder and president of the Article 3 Project. He was the uh, for he was working for uh, Senator uh, Grassley when Brett Kavanaugh was being, you know, ushered through that horrendous process of being nominated as a Supreme Court justice, and it was Mike who was shepherding all of that. Um, he he has such a tremendous experience. He's also I could say a lot of things about him, but he's also gone on to start another thing, which is called uh, the Internet Accountability Project. And in that, he has gathered around a ton of experts, people that I really trust. Uh, Mike represents the leadership of a great divide. A lot of people that I work with are on a very different page, and we're going to explain that, and will help you to understand why we're kind of at loggerheads and why nothing is being done. Mike, you, thanks for joining me this morning. I so appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Sandy. All right, so your bailiwick has been judicial nominations, Mike, and you, you I mean, you, you deserve, uh, you'll go down in history for what you did for Brett Kavanaugh, honestly. Uh, in fact, let me ask you a personal question about that. How did that whole business, that whole drama that we all watched, uh, affect you personally? Um, you know, it, it didn't really affect me that much personally. I just, I, I expected the Democrats to, to play that dirty um, because I've see, seen it my whole life. Uh, and I, I was raised by Democrats. Um, fortunately they've grown up and become Republicans, but I've just seen my whole life how Democrats will do everything and they, 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 everything they can to obtain power because that's all they care about is power. Okay. So I get that. So you have, you had exposure to it. You are like a lot of our mutual friends, uh, who uh, have a leftist past and uh, that makes them even more powerful to fight back because they understand it. But okay. But so the second part of that question briefly then is how about professionally though? How did... Did that, that tweak you in some way or or send you in a certain direction or just to confirm what you already knew? I mean, I've, all, I've always been, um, I've always been conservative. I've always been unfazed. I've always been determined. And um, so I was, 
really all three of those things are in the process and nothing changed. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so then the next transition question, because I do want to know you, your judicial nominations is your bailiwick and you are so good at it. You're so seasoned. So why the leap to the big tech wars? You know, it was something that uh, someone came to me and asked me to do this a couple of years ago to start this internet, internet accountability project, IAP, DIAP.org. And uh, the more I dug into big tech, the more I understood that they had way too much power and they were using that power for bad things. You know, I was one of those conservatives before who thought, okay, well, we have a free market. I'm a free market conservative. Uh, and if these big tech platforms are big, that's a good thing that shows success. Uh, we want companies to get big and thrive and be successful. And I just didn't think of, about the broader implications of what was going on here. And the problem here is they are monopolists. We've had antitrust laws on the books, the Sherman Act, the Clayton Act, other antitrust laws on the books for a century in America for a reason. And antitrust laws are American ideas. And that is that when you become too big, when you have too much market power, and when you use that power to harm the competitive market, to harm competition and to harm consumers, we need to step up. And it's not regulation. It is the opposite of regulation. It is a targeted law enforcement. It is law enforcement enforcement to target these monopolists um, to make sure that they're not, uh, un, they're not they're not abusing their market power, which hurts all of us, right? It's the opposite of regulation. These, these big tech monopolists, there are four $1 trillion big tech monopolists. They're each worth a trillion dollars. Google, Amazon, uh, Facebook, and Apple. And they have way too much power, and they're using that power to harm consumers. They're they're crushing small businesses. They're canceling conservatives. They're they're deplatforming sitting presidents of the United States. I mean, it's yes. yep. They've just gotten they've gotten way too big. Mike, let's go back. Um, I know you've uh, you touched on this, and um, we we don't have time to do a long history lesson, but just because we have so many people listening who don't have a you know, they're not learning American history, and part of it is what you alluded to, uh, Standard Oil, um, the big major companies that grew at the turn of the century in the United States and did wonderful things also became so big that they were controlling the market and they were controlling prices, and, and that's why the antitrust uh, um, legislation was founded. At, at, and I think in currently, and this would be not very current, uh, but Ma Bell, we used to call it Ma Bell, uh, the, um, uh, our telephone services at the time were just telephone, uh, was broken up. And so people that were, uh, the big corporations and these big uh, uh, tycoons of industry were Republicans, and it was stinging. It was very painful to be uh, uh, broken up by government. And so would you not say, Mike, that because of that and because of the, the marriage of a big business and success with the Republican Party, that there was a, there's a knee-jerk repulsion at the notion that government would come in and break up the, your baby, what you grew, what you built on your own. There is a knee-jerk revulsion to that. Just, just speak to that, if you would. Sure. I mean, it was before corporations were, uh, their, their mission was to make profits for their shareholders, and that's what they did. Uh, we don't have the, the same type of corporations today. We have these woke corporations that uh, they, they want a social engineer from the left. They're, the, a lot of these corporations are taken over by leftists, and they want to use their corporate power 
and do things that government power uh, that the government can't do. So we just saw this with the White House. The White House press secretary uh, came out, Jen Psaki came out and said that she wants uh, all of the social media platforms to censor people who are commenting about COVID. Well, you know, they're, they're putting, uh, she, she, she calls it misinformation. So if you, if you put misinformation according to the White House, which means it's, it's going against Tony Fauci and the, and the, the Biden regime, uh, then Jen Psaki says that Facebook sh- should deplatform you if you're, if you're spreading this so-called misinformation on Facebook, and then every other social media platform should do the same, right? So these corporations of today are, are, are not just the profit-driven corporations that we saw from the past. They are, they are p- promoting a political agenda. And that's the problem. These corporations have become way too powerful, and they're using that power to go after conservatives. Yeah, I, I, you know, and I think everybody agrees. Well, everybody on, I guess I should say our side, that sounds so simple. Most Americans probably agree with that, even on the left, I think. Uh, they can see what's happening, and they and if they're if they're thinking people, they can see that that's not going to go well for them either in time. Uh, but the issue is the the cure, because uh, we'll we'll talk about Republicans for a second, which I all the time do, not not in nice ways. But they 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 have done, they're paralyzed because from my perspective, I've said this to you in an email, and I believe with my rudimentary understanding of this, that like the whole notion moving to something slightly different, a free trade was so ingrained in conservatives. I remember well having arguments in the 90s on the radio with people that with free trade was like the, uh, what can I say? It's a statement of faith, the holy grail. Uh, and you didn't do anything to interfere with free trade. And that's why we opened up to China and we wanted to open up our borders. And they kept telling us this was wonderful. And I had a check in my I just knew that was I just knew that was not going to end well. Not that I was particularly brilliant, but I do have common sense. It didn't end well. It's a disaster with China. But I think that that whole notion that free trade superseded every other kind of approach poisoned the well and killed any kind of logical response to what China was doing. And I'm wondering, Mike, if the same thing's happening with this uh, aversion to breaking up big companies by the natural bent of conservatives to let people entrepreneur, to build, to have the freedom to innovate. Is that standing in the way? Are they not seeing clearly because of that past? That could be part of it. I think another part of it is is that big tech, particularly Google, has bought off the swamp. They've bought off the politicians on both sides of the aisle. They've bought off the, uh, the interest groups. Uh, on both sides of the aisle, the, the so-called conservative uh, DC think tanks are bought off by uh, big tech, and so there's really before I started the Internet Accountability Project two years ago, uh, there there was not any group on the right that was dedicated to taking on big tech. I, I, IAP is the first, and I, I frankly I don't want to be a monopoly in this space because we're taking on trillion dollar monopolists. I want other groups. I want other conservatives. I want other people to join me in this fight because it's, uh, you know, it's a lonely fight, but we're doing well. I mean, we just saw uh, Congressman Ken Buck from Colorado, Republican from Colorado is the top Republican on the House Antitrust Subcommittee, and he has been phenomenal on this issue. He is the tip of the spear who has been leading the charge, taking on big tech from the right with antitrust. He co-sponsored six 
bills in the House, working with Republicans and Democrats, because that's what you need to do to get 60 votes in the Senate to get anything done. Uh, so he's he's working, and he, he just passed back in June. He, he passed six. He went he went six, uh, six for six, passed six bills out of the House Judiciary Committee over the opposition of Jim Jordan and, and the Republican leadership and got these bills passed. And I think it's very important for your listeners to learn about these bills and get on board with these six antitrust bills. And you can go to Congressman Ken Buck's website to find out more about these bills. But it's really important. These bills are not perfect. They're not a panacea. No legislation is. Legislation is like making sausage, right? It's not pretty. But I would encourage every House Republican and every Senate Republican to talk to Congressman Ken Buck's office and get on board with some or all of these bills. Now, again, they're not perfect. Offer amendments. But this notion that you're going to come in and say these bills are just big government or Democrat bills, that's gaslighting. That's carrying the water for big tech. That's carrying the water for Google. And that's the problem. This is a good way to smoke out the Republicans who actually care about these, these woke companies getting too big and canceling conservatives, including even the president of the United States, President Trump. We need to, Republicans need to stop talking and start doing. Yes, I, I totally agree. And I, let me just concur, Mike, because of my working in D.C. for so long, that uh, firsthand knowledge and experience with organizations that you would never see and people who are on the take with Google, even in the White House under President Trump. I, I knew people in the White House who were in the strategic positions, who were working so closely with Google. It was amazing. I, it was amazing there. And the think tanks that you think you can trust, almost all of them taking money from big tech and uh, politicians who you would never expect uh, working with big tech, working with Google. It's just, it is very distressing and it's very true. And let me just say that there is a new website that's been, and I know you know all about this, Mike, but it's called Big Tech Funding, Big Tech Funding. I think, is it American Principles Project who's done this, put this together? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, so what they're, they're doing they're is... they're great. Yeah, so you tell people what this, if they look at this, what will they see? You, you go look at this site, and what you're going to see, it, sh- it shows who's taking Google funding. So it, it actually puts in uh, web extensions so on your, on your web browser. So when you, when you search for a company, it will show you, or when you show, search for a politician or a, one of these nonprofit organizations, these advocacy organizations, it will show you uh, who takes Google funding or who's taken big tech funding in the past. And then you can draw a line to those of the people that don't want to use antitrust. That's what really is very hard to say, but true. Uh, Mike, I just the, the obvious question, though, to push the other side is, why is Amy Klobuchar, who is not our friend on anything, why is she so high on using antitrust laws to break up big tech? Well, you know, I would say this. Uh, sometimes you uh, your politics make, make strange bedfellows, and... The enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So this is, I think that big tech is one of the biggest threats to conservatism right now because they are trying to wipe us off the map. They're trying to say that what we, our ideas are misinformation and that we need to be censored. It's not only do they want to disagree with us, which is fine. They don't, they don't even want to debate us. They just want to cancel us. They want to get rid of us. They want to chase us out of the online public square. And that is a, huge threat 
to us as conservatives. It's the biggest threat we face, right? So we need to we need to fight back, and uh, the the way we fight back is through antitrust law enforcement. It is targeted law enforcement. It's not regulation. It's actually the opposite of regulation. Those, Facebook has come out and said that they want regulation. Of course they want regulation because they're a trillion-dollar company, and they can afford regulation, and regulation creates entry barriers to make it harder for startup competitors. I mean, think about this with, with Parler. People have said, uh, the conservatives have said, the, the, the Google shills have said, if you don't like Twitter, if you don't like Facebook, build your own. Okay, so what happened? We had Parler come along, and it was a startup competitor to Twitter, and we saw that there were a lot of conservatives who were bleeding out from Twitter to Parler. And Twitter did not like this. And so what did they do? You had the uh, the app store duopoly of Apple and Google that, that control like 90 plus percent of the app stores, kicking Parler out of the app stores. And then you had Amazon through Amazon Web Service, another trillion dollar monopoly, kicking uh, Parler off the internet. And what did they say the excuse was? They said that, 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 that January 6th was organized on parlor, and so therefore we needed to, to shut it down because it was dangerous. Well, the, the actual fact was is that people organized the protest of January 6th on Facebook, uh, more so than parlor, uh, and this was just an excuse to get rid of a competitor. And so parlor sues, and what happened? You had you had parlor suing for antitrust violations, and they were going to lose. They had to amend their complaints, and the reason is is that we have we have this thing in antitrust law called the Consumer Welfare Standard, where Essentially, um, conservatives decades ago uh, essentially used judicial activism to rewrite our century-old antitrust laws to make it harder to bring these antitrust suits because these conservative judicial activists were trying to protect their corporate buddies. Well, now guess what? Because of this so-called consumer welfare standard, where they only look at price, the effects of price, and these base, you know, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Google, these so-called free services. Uh, don't have a price, and so it's it's very hard to win these antitrust laws, uh, lawsuits against big tech because of this consumer welfare standard. So, as conservatives, we need to reevaluate. Right? Why do we want to promote this consumer welfare st- standard for uh, when we have a, a, this big tech economy where uh, we're going to lose these antitrust lawsuits against big tech? I mean, there are just a lot of things that we need to reevaluate as conservatives. Uh, if you know. These quaint notions about, you know, free markets and competition and, you know, big isn't bad, that all sounds good until we're, we're, you know, we're chased out of the public square and thrown in the gulags. Yep, exactly. And I I still think, you know, you got this is like pushing a boulder up a hill. I know that, Mike, but you you've done you you make a very compelling case. And I have to say that I, I am persuaded to to agree with you. And I know that's very controversial, but I am. I think this is an, an unique time. We have never been in this situation before, and it requires unique thinking. It requires us to shake loose of old notions that are not based on what's happening now. And so uh, it, where is one particular place where people could get information, Mike, about this? Well, the one particular place is go to Congressman Pinbox website to learn about uh, okay. these these six pieces of antitrust legislation, and, and then you can also come to our website b t h e i a p dot org b i a p dot org. Sign up for our newsletter. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, okay, we're right. we're we're a pretty edgy, controversial yes, group. Yes, you are. Off there fighting. 
Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And that's why I wanted to talk to you, Mike. So I appreciate your time, and I appreciate, I think you did a great uh, explanation for us. So uh, we will put those uh, on our Facebook page. We'll put those links, and maybe somebody might see them if we're lucky. Mike, thank you so much. God bless you for all that you're doing. Sandy Reels in the morning on AFR Talk. Jesus described the world before His second coming as being filled with lawlessness, a society not restrained by law. It's happening across America now. Organized crime sprees in big cities are forcing retailers to close stores and limit operating hours as packs of shoplifters steal hundreds of dollars worth of merchandise. When civil authorities refuse to enforce laws and people don't respect God's laws, anarchy rules. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away, or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. A friend of mine who pastors a church in Nigeria once said to me, you know, America has sent more missionaries into the world than any other nation before it. But the nation that once sent missionaries has now become the mission field. As you consider the calling God has for you, I just want to remind you, that just as other nations need missionaries, we need missionaries in America, too. There are a lot of neighborhoods right here in our country that desperately need evangelism and discipleship. Let's not forget about them. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, Public Policy Analyst for the American Family Association. Hi, my name's Eric. And I'm Kendra. And we have been married a little over two years now. Honestly, I think the the most challenging part of our marriage so far, we're right in the middle of it. We're trying to have kids right now. I have a spinal cord injury, so that makes things a little more difficult. And um, I just am, am dealing with some issues with infertility. The difficulty is on my end. But it's our infertility. But it is our, yeah. Because we're right. one now. <laughs> and I, I think what's really helped us through this is keeping Jesus at the center Mm -hmm. of it all and knowing that anything that causes you to lean and depend on Jesus more is actually a blessing. Yes. It's heartening to to know that I have someone who's, she's on my team. Tune into By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Yesterday, Pedro Castillo, a Marxist with ties to the Shining Path terrorist group and an affinity for the interests of drug traffickers, was declared to have won a fraud-fraught election for the presidency of Peru. Latin America now faces the distinct prospect of yet another promising developing country misruled and bankrupted by a communist regime, with dire repercussions for its people, the region, and us. If it seems likely, Peru's trajectory follows that of Fidel Castro's Cuba, Daniel Ortega's Nicaragua, and Hugo Chavez's Venezuela, 
its people will soon be subjected to an oppressive government denying them freedom and free market capitalism that will inevitably translate into mass emigration, further roiling neighboring states like Colombia and Chile and exacerbating the invasion occurring here. History will judge harshly the U.S. government's failure to help stave off this disaster. Who lost Peru? Joe Biden did. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. But I want to press you on something that you said. You wrote an essay for LinkedIn uh, in, in which you said this. Uh, like the Gestapo did in Nazi Germany, the federal government is targeting anyone who dares criticize the decision-making process, questions its motives, or challenges its legitimacy. Uh, Look, Nazi comparisons are usually a sign you've lost the argument, but do you still believe the federal government is acting like Nazi Germany in its prosecution of the capital attackers? Look, let's leave Nazis out of, out of this conversation. Well, you brought them into it, sir. A point. You brought them into it. Okay, fair enough. Like the Nazis, like the Soviets in the Gulag, innocent men are, and women are being held in what we are calling D.C. Guantanamo Bay, pre-trial, absent any finding of fact. Pre-trial, they're being held for hundreds of days in solitary confinement. They're being beaten. They're being starved. They're being denied medical care. They're being denied denied the right to worship. They're being cut off from their attorneys. They're being cut off from Mr. Their McBride. Family. First this of all, has he been denied the right to communicate with you? Has your client been denied the right to communicate with you? My client is out. I got Mr. Barnett out right. because so the okay. Fact, so let, you know, I just want to I want to be clear about that because you're making extraordinary things. These sentences and the decision of the Biden Justice Department not no, to turn insurrection would indicate Wait, this is nothing resembling anything involving Soviet Russia or Nazi Germany, obviously. But to belabor that point, you went on Russian you went on a Russian television station to plead this case and make this point. Do you think if an, if, a, if an attacker broke into the Kremlin and sat at Vladimir Putin's desk, he'd be treated better or worse than your clients been treated after attacking the Speaker of the House's office? If the media and the United States government does not want to hold itself accountable for the human rights violations that are taking place at D.C. Guantanamo Bay, then who better to hold us accountable than the inventors of the gulags themselves? That is why I went there to prove that makes a point. Absolutely America no needs sense, to sir. wake up and understand that people are being tortured. Tortured. Are you okay tortured. with people being tortured? What's the example you have? Do you like to cite the White that? House right now? Pardon me? You're Would saying like people are being tortured what? by the White House. I just want to be clear. Because that's an extraordinary Tortured statement that would seem to be utterly unbased in House. fact. Well, so that was an exchange yesterday on CNN, and it was Attorney Joseph McBride who was representing Richard Barnett. Richard Barnett was the guy who was sitting in Nancy Pelosi's seat, uh, a chair with her feet up, with his feet up in her office, uh, you know, like it was uh, a frat party when he went into the uh, the Capitol, and so Joseph McBride is his attorney. John Avalon is the host in this now. Uh, the effect here, uh, it's interesting, John Avalon is very smug. You know, not exactly an objective journalist, of course. Uh, and uh, Joseph McBride is impassioned. And there's a lot more to this exchange, and I'm going to uh, let you hear, hear it in just a second. But there's the headline on the piece before I watch the interaction. It says, the facts are torture. Attorney for Capitol Rioter derails his own CNN interview. Well, I thought, what did he do? He must have done something really bad. What did he do? But I listened to the whole thing, and I'll let you listen to it, and you tell me if you think he derailed his own CNN interview. Again, let's let's continue. Let's go back to Attorney Joseph McBride. 
defending his, uh, Richard Barnett and all the other defendants on January 6th being held in the D.C. jails and being, um, uh, let's say, attacked himself by John Avalon of CNN. Let's listen. Oh, no, they are based, in fact, and when the, tr- when, when the truth about the circumstances of confinement comes mm-hmm. out, you should be, you should hold yourself accountable for what you're saying right now. Do you think people should be held accountable for attacking the Capitol and trying to overturn an election, sir? Tortured. Tortured. Are you okay with torture? Are you okay with what the What about ACLU the, pe- the Capitol Police who were tortured and attacked by the violent mobs, sir? Does that bother confinement you? is torture. Solitary confinement is torture. Answer that question for me, good sir. Are you okay with pretrial detainees being tortured? Mr. McBride, you seem awfully unconcerned with the violence done to the Capitol Hill police, with the violence done to the Capitol, with the attempt to overturn an election by an insurrectionist mob. Does that concern you at all? Should there be accountability for that, Mr. McBride? No one has been charged with insurrection. Were they trying to overturn the certification of the election, Mr. McBride? Was your client trying to overturn and stop the certification of the election? Absolutely not. Without any shadow of a doubt, my client showed up to protest what he believed at the time to be incorrect election results. Does he, he still believe that? Well Do you believe his that? Rights. He he is. Look, I am. I am. I am. My belief is is not at issue here. Hmm. The good sir from Georgia, Mr. Vernon Vernon Jones, who is running for governor in Georgia at this moment. Why don't you go talk to him and others like him? Uh, I'm talking to you right now, but you know what it sounds like, Mr. McBride? It it sounds like you and your clients still believe the big lie. The big lie? What does that mean? 75 million people believe the big lie. It means lying about the results of the election. Mr. McBride, I want to thank you for coming on New Day, but I hope you would have more of a fact-based conversation with anything resembling a sense of perspective about an attack on our capital. Torture, Joseph McBride, torture. keep torture yelling torture. Okay. We'll stick Add with the, the facts. Thank you very much for joining it. us on New Day. The facts are torture. Yeah, okay. So uh, did he derail his own uh, interview? I don't think so. I didn't hear it that way, I guess, because I know stuff. Maybe, you know, if I thought um, John Avalon of CNN was an honest person, maybe I would think, oh, poor attorney Joseph McBride just made a fool out of himself. But I don't think so. And I'll give you another example. This is an article that just came out yesterday. Uh, January 6th, Patriot faces 20 years in prison for standing in Capitol for 10 minutes. His wife launches a Give, Send, Go account. By the way, I'm going to tell you right now, the Give, Send, Go is for Dr. Joseph Hackett. And I'll tell you why. I want If you could jot that down, I think by the time I read this to you, you're going to want to help. Give, Send, Go, Dr. Joseph Hackett. Um, Joseph's wife, Dina, has launched a crowdfunding Give, Send, Go campaign last week in hopes of being able to hire a private attorney to represent her husband. Joseph Hackett is a 50-year-old chiropractor. He now faces a 20-year sentence in federal prison after, this is the word that the document uses, heinously stepping in the Capitol building for 10 minutes on January 6th. Heinously stepping. According to court documents, prosecutors claim Hackett allegedly walked into the Capitol Rotunda towards the House of Representatives at 245. He then left the Capitol at 254. After the protest, he safely returned home to Sarasota, Florida, but the 10 minutes he spent in the Capitol, allegedly, would come back to haunt him. In early May, the FBI left a business card on his door. By the way, an attorney told him that he should not, unless he's represented by an attorney, he should not have an interaction with them. I've told you the same thing. Three weeks later, so he didn't respond. Three weeks later, 
On May 28th, Joseph was apprehended as the FBI raided his home and was indicted on federal charges of conspiracy, obstruction, and official proceeding, aiding and abetting destruction of government property and illegally entering a restricted building. Uh, his wife fears he'll never return home. As her husband sits in a cell 23 hours a day, Dina is struggling to pay for the mortgage on their home and rent for their office and raise their 11-year-old daughter. Hiring an attorney to fight the government's case against her husband will cost $250,000. It scares me what's, with what's ha- going to happen to my husband. His court date is not going to be till next year. He's facing 20 years. If he gets convicted, we would be in our 70s before he gets out of prison. I hope and pray that God will take care of this. Uh, my daughter and I, we don't have this in his income. We don't have his protection. We don't have him. Uh, Joseph, by the way, joined Oath Keepers because there were problems in Sarasota behind their neighborhood. He's never been in politics before. He joined Oath Keepers, organized a group to protect the neighborhood uh, because of the shooting and looting that was going on. That's when, uh, after that, she says, his wife says, that's when he started paying more attention to the news, diving deeper. He'd never voted, even voted in his life. First election, he'd ever voted, and now he's being tortured. While the FBI is yet to present evidence proving Joseph conspired to overthrow the government, his association with Oath Keepers makes him a political target. At least 16 suspects affiliated with the group have been charged with conspiracy to obstruct the certification of the Electoral College vote in connection with the, these are their terms, Capitol attack. I don't even know for sure that Joseph did walk into the Capitol building. They don't have any video. They haven't produced any evidence, any pictures, nothing. He was in the Capitol. He was only there for 10 minutes. He's been in jail since May 28th and may go to prison for 20 years. Uh, They're claiming he's a leader of the Oath Keepers and conspiring to overthrow the government. Our lives have been turned upside down. His practice is completely gone, and I'm struggling to keep mine. Um, There's more to say about this. She talked about that they can't afford the $250,000 for an attorney. She wants to go to D.C. for his trial, but she doesn't know if she can. She's launched this crowdfunding Give Sin Go, again, for Dr. Joseph Hackett. If you want to help, Dr. Joseph Hackett, we'll put that on our Facebook page. And the, she says, there's a January 6th protester who's been in solitary confinement in D.C. jail for two months, 26 years old. He's there with no underwear, no soap, no nothing, being treated like an animal. We're sending money to the guys in there that don't have family members for commissary so they can use the phone. A lot of these guys, their families don't have money. Whatever money we get, it's going to go to the guys in there, not just Joe. All right, so there it is. It's a GoFundMe. It's um, Joseph Hackett, Sandy Rios, in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.